Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? Welcome to the Pull Up Trey podcast. I am Trey. This is a steamed, respected oh, yeah. <laughs> NBA writer, Samson Folk. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Just kind of kicking around. We haven't done a pull-up tray for, I think, three weeks. Oh, so man. we have a... Nice. Yeah, but the good thing is that the last episode we did with S, where we were like, hey, things might get a little bit hairy. You know, who's on the table? That actually ended up being quite prescient as the team uh, didn't really save themselves on their long homestand has only typically been winning games against the very, very winnable teams and still actually probably progressed even further from that point, uh, mired in a little bit of controversy and a lot of trade rumors. So at least we got to hold people over with that with us reacting incredulously to S saying uh, trade Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, I think based on the last pod, we were right short and short but yeah i think i think we're right about a lot of things but you know we're not particularly takey i don't want to be right about this again yeah man it would be nice if they had flipped it around the script fully flipped man that would have been so cool but alas they're what 22 and 27 right now i believe yes um they're they're in a weird spot they're very they could honestly still flip the switch and make the playoffs or make the plan at least but they're also could get like a top five pick there. I think they're sixth as yeah. far as the odds right now, yeah. um, which is actually better than they were uh, for the first round pick. As far as that goes, uh, than they were in the Tampa season. They have a lot of money on the books. They're scheduled to have more money on the books. A bunch of stuff is changing and we don't really want to rehash the, who are you going to trade uh, conversation? There'll be little, I guess, inklings towards it during this conversation, but we can kind of talk around that by looking at what, we want to, I guess, emphasize and prioritize along with the Raptors. And so just to kind of set this up, most people who have been watching the games lately see that OG Ananobi, that usage has come down. His forays off the dribble have come down. He's shooting way better from the corners. He's shooting way better from three. His offensive role is paired way down. Scotty Barnes has a somewhat new role. There's, It's not completely new, but there's been stuff invigorated into it where he gets to dictate a little bit more of the Raptors' pace. He gets to put the Raptors into actions that he didn't used to be able to. Pascal Siakam is stepping back just a little bit. Fred Van Vliet surging now. He's on a hot streak, scoring a lot of points, shooting well from three. The offensive hierarchy has been shuffled somewhat. And I want to ask you, Trey, when you look at this team, you know, Precious at you, a number one offensive option. Is that your end goal? Like, you look at this team, you see who's there trying to find and walk the fine line between progression, development, 
and winning now or whatever you view as success now maybe it's not winning maybe it's something a little bit worse i don't know but yeah that's that's my question for you um wrestlers are in, in a weird place because they're obviously still trying to win games they're they're running game seven lineups every, <laughs> every single night so they're clearly still trying to win but obviously like the clear perspective or clear future outlook is that scotty becomes some sort of version of a heliocentric player where he can lead and control the, the entire space on the court. So you have to give him those actual looks. The Raptors offense has improved since doing so. Um, the big thing of the early, early in the season where we saw OG had it, like a bit of his surgence is that he was able to attack off closeouts, use his strength to separate, get in the lane and score. But a lot of that doesn't lead to efficient offense. Cause still he isn't the greatest passer. He isn't able to, to make secondary reads. He usually is able to hit the corner or hit a dump off pass. But with Scotty, teams have decided not to, not to guard him. He's been able to get into the paint and with Fred shooting a lot better, OG shooting, progressing back to, to normal. He's been a bit of a weapon as a playmaker to hit those guys in corners, create actual good offense. And with the added pace with guys like Boucher, Precious are getting looks that they weren't getting early in the season. So I think although the defense still sucks, (laughs) um it's been a good a good change and i think it's both helped the short term and helped the long term and what you'd ideally want scotty to be in the future okay so that's that's basically my question then is that this isn't you talked about a heliocentric role uh that's not what scotty is currently scotty is playing off of others Uh, advantages are being created for him sometimes but he's also being used in a role that isn't typically i guess associated with teams that run offense ironically, um, or players that run offense, I should say. Ironically, the Raptors just played a player who does orchestrate an offense from a similar, albeit more voluminous role than Scotty has in Demonis Sabonis. The Kings actually have the number one offense in the NBA. I know it didn't look that way because the Raptors are uniquely equipped to shut them down. But I'm curious, when you look at Scotty, do you want to invest heavily into this type of role? Because you see the type of success that teams have when they run actions through the post as it's kind of developed away from a scoring hub into this very huge playmaking hub in the NBA, especially with players like Scotty, who can give you 10 assists, one turnover. The assist to turnover ratio has been insane lately. Jokic, Sabonis, Bam Adebayo to a lesser degree, right? I know people hear that and think limitations. But what I mean to say is that, is it maybe better for Scotty to kind of thrive in this role and understand that he also doesn't have the same limitations as a guy like Bam Adebayo and will likely be able to ascend past those limitations while also having this role in his back pocket. Like, you you know what I mean? I get what you mean. And I I don't want to say this name. I I don't want to say this name to compare both these players that I'm not doing comparison, but um, Guys like um, Joel Embiid both have the ability to create post-centric offense, hit the open man, score from there using their strength, but also can turn a pick-and-roll situation into a face-up opportunity and then score from there. I think ideally if Scotty doesn't hit like the highest peaks of offense where he's LeBron James where no one quite frankly is. These are some uh, names you're throwing out. <laughs> <laughs> But that like that's a very viable role, especially with how special he's been as a passer. It allows you to create way more funky lineups where he can be paired with um, 
Triple H and Shawn Michaels and create effective <laughs> offense, be around other shooters. So I think that's like a very viable way in terms of development. You just would have to assume that there is a player on a higher plateau or higher peak that is going to create more efficient offense in playoff situations. And Pascal might be that player. So I, I don't see it being uh, – I don't think it's a, a negative or a diss if you would say like Sabonis-centric offense is the way for him to succeed in the league. And I think there's also a really cool thing about it is that, for example, Scotty can't create like Pascal in isolation. He doesn't have the same counters yet. That's not a bad thing. Pascal is in year whatever. He's a two-time All-NBA player. You know, depending on the record, maybe it's three. But he'll be an All-Star this year, I'm almost certain. Um, But Pascal cannot do what Scotty does now at his young age. Pascal doesn't make... Like, Pascal is a great playmaker in his own way. But he does it differently. And he's a slower guy to read the court in a lot of instances. It's about how he controls his own dribble, his own body. But Scotty is like, I'll read the floor in an instant and I'll shift guys with my eyes and with my body language and I'll make pinpoint passes. And Pascal can't be that hub. Everybody was talking about them infringing on each other's development. And, you know, there's an interesting conversation about you can look at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown about how two stars on the same team are inevitably going to impact how the other grows. Like it's they leave indelible marks on each other's games. And Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes have already started to do that. Only I think that there should be enough room on the Raptors for Scotty Barnes, not just to have this role, but also continue to dip his toes into, honestly, some of the possessions that OG Ananobi now has had enough possessions. I think the Raptors, the league, for the most part, has had a long enough look at what OG the creator looks like. It, like, it was fledgling at times. There were moments, there were stretches where it was impressive, it was good, where he could lead an offense during a game. And that's still that's still like an important thing that he can show up for maybe two or three games in, in a series and give you that extra creation in the playoffs when things get hairy. But I think you start to move, and they have, more of those possessions over to Scotty Barnes that this happened last year as well. OG came out kind of, you know, burning. He was doing great. Pascal found his form. Scotty needed to grow. OG's usage was the, you know, the, the sacrifice. When you look at this team, are you looking for sacrifice anywhere else to allow for more growth from Scotty Barnes? So currently I, I, I'm going to say no. I, I think um, a big point in like earlier in the season that he was put in certain position, certain positions to fail. Obviously, like you, you want to stretch out his his knowledge and his reps in in basketball and make sure that he can explore like his limitations. Mm-hmm. But I think currently now with um, Pascal, who's able to take over uh, possessions and lineups for multiple games, multiple possessions. He Scotty has been able to find a bit of a comfort zone where he can he can be the cutter. He can be the roller. He can be uh, a secondary playmaker off of his actions. Where now we're getting really good offense. People are succeeding and they're in their best roles, even if it probably isn't for um I don't want to say oh he doesn't like this like I know, I know this man, but um he doesn't like it. <laughs> well, I'm not tapped in to say that but <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
even if it's probably like not for the betterment of a guy like Fred or OG, we're getting to a, a baseline where you could see if they do keep this core together, a baseline where Scotty learns to face up in year three, where he's driving, getting downhill on a lot of these secondary actions and then finding three open shooters in Gary, Fred and OG are all capable. And that's very hard offense to stop. So mm-hmm. I think it's going along the right path. I, yeah, I think so too. This was, this was always the thing is that the Raptors, I understand why people want, and as you mentioned, give Scotty the possessions, see what works, let him grow. But also at the same time, everybody and their mom and their grandma, anybody, <laughs> any matriarch, you know, they were saying, have a little bit more structure in this offense. Yeah. And when the Raptors are running motion, having a guy like Scotty touch the ball more often, be a deciding factor in how these plays turn out, gives him more control and adds more structure and has been a boon for everybody. I mean, the last 11 games, the Raptors are third in the NBA in offensive rating. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen a good half-court offense from this team in a long time. It's been years. And this past stretch is one of the best they've ever had um, in this like post-championship, right? So very, very impressive. Even, even when they were really good, that second best record in the, you know, the bubble season. Yeah. They they didn't have like an insane half court offense. They had a lot of transition. They got a lot of turnovers on defense. And the Raptors having more structure, allowing Scotty to kind of flourish within a little bit more structure and apply structure where he sees fit when there isn't, I think is fantastic. And everybody, once again, except for unfortunately OG, has, <laughs> I guess, mainly maintained their usage and their style of play. OG, once again, relegated to more of a, a complimentary role and with less driving, less playmaking as well. And I don't know what that says for OG and his career, what he wants for himself. But unfortunately, uh, for the optics of it, it has been good it's for right. the Raptors offense. It's it's just tough to frame it any other way, you know? Yeah, you touched on um, Fred a little bit. I think um big thing is he's shooting well again. Uh, that's it's, good it's it's been it's been great it's probably first time in a few months can i ask you a question go ahead when you see fred shooting well and this is this is very telling this is the fan base is split on this thing <laughs> when you see fred shooting well yeah. do you think playoffs or do you think trade value yeah i, th- I think trade value <laughs> it hurt it, it hurts my heart to say this um fred has shot the ball really well and i think that's probably one of the two biggest reasons why the raptors offense has dramatically increased you have a shooter that can shoot off script off schedule in any possession and hit a deep three which is humongous for for a team like this that struggles to shoot but um i don't think some of the same um skills have returned on the defensive end you've kind of seen some regression, whether it's age, whether it's injury on the defensive end where um, the Raptors really need him to be a strong at the point of attack because A, they're they're predicated on rim deterrence and B, that they they don't have anyone who's over 6'9", really de- defending the rim. So I think it, he's, he's kind of at a point where we either need to utilize one of the one of one of these people in these rumors to get a center to build more structure on the defensive end, or um, 
hope that actualizes with like um, Precious in the lineup more often at, or Coloco becoming what everyone hopes he, he can be. Yeah. And just as like a point of context as well, I, I, I wrote a piece about Fred Van Bleet wherein I mentioned that I thought that Nick Nurse and the organization had run Fred into the ground. And questions were asked, like, why is this considered common knowledge? You know, what what do you know that the, you know, uh, the staff doesn't? And I, I don't mean to say I understand the stuff more than the staff. I think this is like an empirical look at a guy over the past few years who has played the second most minutes in the NBA, second to only James Harden. This is a guy who, you know, this is measured by second spectrum. They have the cameras that track body motion in every arena the miles traveled has been absurd for him for a few years and then you can look at kevin pelton for example who um combined and looked at uh point guards and smaller point guards and how um on average people age and having a very very diminutive point guard who fred is open and honest about the toll it takes for him to play at the nba level how much of a beating and a pounding as a guy you know i guarded trey not in the last run we played, but, you know, I guarded him in the run before that. And then the other team had another 6'5 guy. You know, I was in the post. I'm I'm not six feet quite. Playing against like a 6'4 and 6'5 guy, I'm getting beat up, man. Like, it, it's tough to hang. And Fred, it's 10 times more. Not to mention he has so many different things in his body to try and maintain burst and all this kind of stuff, too. So I think it's um, it's important to add the context that Fred is trying to maintain a body that, you know, the Raptors built wins off of. Like, like I, yeah, I, I don't feel bad about saying that. I think it's important for people to understand that context. And, you know, part of humanizing these athletes is understanding that, like, every step they take on the court is like an inch off of the cartilage. Not an inch, obviously, but yeah. there's, there's wear and tear for sure. And Fred has been asked to do more than basically any other player over the past however many years. Maybe, maybe except Pascal, hilariously. That's sad. Um, I've always wanted to ask you after, like how much the defensive scheme probably has to do to that wear and tear where the Raptors, they scramble and, and blitz so often with, with Fred usually being the force at the nail trying to get in front of a Giannis or get in front of a, another big man. How often do you think or how much do you think that plays into um, – his injury concerns and sort of the regression you've seen this year? Well, if you're somebody who subscribes to the idea that, you know, Fred has talked about his back, he's also uh, been out for his back, there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of torque uh, necessary to try and strip guys like Julius Randle, like Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he's in there. Fred has always been in there. He battles. And yeah, it's just once again, it's like being hyper aggressive, being hyper physical at his size, and then being asked to cover ground because yeah, you're absolutely correct. Not only is, is this a scheme that asks Fred to rotate in, take the body blows, be aggressive in there, but it's a scheme that asks him to rotate out, chop the feet, maintain, you know, maintain the angles, try and drive, try and guide drivers, uh, no middle, right? Like all this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's no doubt, no doubt that Fred <laughs> has been affected. Now, you could quibble, I'm sure, about whether this was going to happen inevitably or if the Raptors exacerbated it, whatever. The, I'm sure that's fine. But 
the play style and everything like that has been a higher rate, more miles traveled, more wear and tear uh, than he would have had elsewhere and more minutes. So it's just, it's tough. And if he does get traded, I hope it's to a team that plays him like 32 a game, 31 or something like that, where uh, he's not asked to do as much. But I guess we'll see about that. And if he stays with the Raptors, I hope that there's uh, more uh, less minutes on his body. Uh, a guy we want more minutes of, though. You want to talk about Precious Achua, the great. Oh. Okay. So our, um, the person I call my son, Makai Bruce, <laughs> <laughs> he just um, released an article on R called Precious Achua, Defensive Superstar. And he basically goes through why the Raptors defense has suddenly become competent after having a season of giving up nearly almost the most blow-bys to the rim in the league. Um, when it comes with Precious, he's played much better than I, I thought. Maybe not that I thought he was capable of, but um, right after an injury. He's become a force on the defensive end where he can both switch onto a guard and create that deterrence that the Raptors have been really struggling to get from, from Gary and, and Fred. And at the rim, he offers enough because he's an amazing athlete. He's probably the best athlete on the team where he can deter shots at the rim. So you, we're getting a, a player that can guard. And I know it's uh, a no-no to say one through five, but is guarding everybody on the court, is taking the ball, and is flying up and getting to the rim and scoring for the Raptors even on that end. And I honestly think him coming back has kind of reinvigorated Boucher because they're both like crash bandicoot going at the rim, running, creating havoc and scoring. Obviously, like in terms of um, major growth, you're seeing um, Precious get to the rim and finish with contact very, very well. And with Scotty having more of a role as a playmaker, you're seeing Precious being able to grab and do grab and goes, get to the rim and and dunk in a lot of possessions. So I think we have a very dangerous player. And oddly enough, look, Precious Achua is probably one of the players I'd be the most shocked by if he got traded. Yeah. Which so, is so crazy to think about. You mentioned that Precious was the best athlete on his team, maybe. It's not close, man. <laughs> not not only is Precious the best athlete on his team, he's one of the best athletes in his conference. Like, the mix of size, burst, one-foot jump, and strength, balance. Like, you watch, like, we saw it when they played Dallas, the game he got injured in, unfortunately. But watch him dance with Luca. The feet on this guy, he should not be able to move like that. And then also you can flash back to any number of big moments that you like where he's leaving Joel Embiid, who when when it comes to playoff time, that's a defensive player of the year caliber impact guy. He's just dusting the hell out of him, beating him every time. And then guards to shifting Matisse Teibel, two-time all-defense selection. Matisse Teibel out of his <laughs> shoes, finishing with that fillet at the rim. You know, like he's he's just a, a wonderful athlete. I have I get such a kick out of watching him try and do things, as crazy as some might be. Yeah, his his flashes are are very high. His lows are very low as well, but <laughs> you he the flashes are so great that you can deal with him trying to squeeze in between a pick and roll when he probably should be trying to roll in, in those possessions. Um, where do you think is a major growth point for him so that he can secure significant minutes and become a, a starter on this team? Well, the defense is there. 
Like he's, as far as I'm concerned, he is only minutes per game away from contesting for an all defense spot. And, um, you know, who knows what happens in the future, what the Raptors team looks like in the future. But I, I suspect that Precious will make one or two at the very least before his career is over. He, he's very good on that end. Offensively, I've said this stat many times. People are probably annoyed about it. But again, post All-Star break last season, Precious shot 44% on catch-and-shoot threes. I believe it was 3.9 per game. Or, or that's per 36, and he played 24 or 25 minutes. I haven't looked at the stat recently. But I guess it's like 88% of the stat is bored into my brain. Hopefully it is into yours too. And so that is a very, we talked about his athleticism, his handle, the fluidity at the rim. What is more potent than a guy who can hit the three and is also quite literally capable of dunking on anybody in the NBA if he gets like that pump and, you know, drop dribble, put it down, dunk on somebody. We've seen that happen in his career quite a few times already. And also we've seen him finish adjust through air for soft finishes with either hand. Like his in-air acrobatics leave nothing to be wanted. The touch, every once in a while, it'll go off the top of the backboard. Something crazy happens. <laughs> but this is a guy who does things at his size, at his athletic profile that many players can't. Because keep in mind with Russell Westbrook, for example, when you operate that fast, when, you, when you're beating guys with speed, you move fast towards the rim. Half of finishing at the rim for guys of this level is the deceleration of your arm, is the deceleration to make sure it kisses off the glass like very, very softly. And Precious is working on getting that. You can see it on some like some possessions. It's there. Like it's as soft as it needs to be. That's a huge barometer for me as like a old school 1972 coach. Like, yeah, he, oh, he kisses off the glass real nice. You know, maybe maybe there's some touch there. And, you know, his um, his form is good on the three. Sometimes the legs are different. Like he'll he'll get a bit janky on, on the chain, the posterior chain, as it were. And that'll kind of throw it out of whack. But when it's going, it's very solid. It's very crisp. It's very fluid. And uh, all that stuff is what makes him extremely viable for this version of Raptors team. But also on top of that, uh, the role. And the role is really tough to master for a guy who likes to do pump, big steps, attack with these long lunging, big explosion with one step because attacking the role is like chop those feet, maintain the spacing between you and the ball handler, keep the window open and then burst from this small spot. But he's been doing that lately too. So the role and three point shot, that seems like stuff he has to work on. Everything else seems like it's like innate to who he is. If you give him space to operate in the floor, by age 25, this guy will be making magic within that space. Yeah. Precious is sort of like in a weird spot where he's so talented that he can do so many different things. Um, he can he has the athleticism to do a lot of wing stuff while maybe yeah. not having the ball handling. But honestly, he thinks if, he does. <laughs> maybe. But honestly, if he decided to be Robert Williams, Nick Claxton, he could do that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Where if he rolls to the rim, uses his vertical spacing, and actually ha- has a willingness to do so, I think, A, that would probably get him on the court more because the Raptors lack vertical spacing and someone who can get easy lobs and easy two points in, in half-court scenarios. And just 
the amount of pressure that he brings to the rim would help significantly. Although the the wing stuff is is really cool and playing off of a, a Scotty and a Pascal on those catch and goes are nice, but I would like to see him roll hard and with willingness to at least try to maximize that role. I think that's the the best pathway to get him to being a starter in this league. I think this was I did this podcast in February of last year, I believe, with Jamar Hines, a Raptors Republic staff member. And he, I, I believe he asked me the same question, like, what does Precious need to do? And I said, you got to pick up the low-hanging fruit on offense because he only wants the high-hanging stuff. Yep. Precious wants to do the things that nobody can do, and he can do them sometimes. But the stuff, man, he could just thrive at so many of the things that other people, that he can do, but it's just like that grinder stuff, you know? It's all about like the small little details. Why did the Raptors like, you know, bludgeon the Knicks in the front court the last time they played? Because Mitchell Robinson wasn't there. And Mitchell Robinson, as much as his game has holes in it, he'll do all the low hanging fruit. He'll rotate to the rim on defense. He'll catch lobs on offense. He'll get on the offensive glass. He'll finish the stuff within three feet. And as much as we get into like ball skills dominate the NBA, having a guy who goes up there and just dunks that, very, very important. Yeah. And it's funny you asked me like, or you, you mentioned Precious being able to do so much stuff and like, how do you decide that? I asked Precious that. I got a bad answer. I'm going <laughs> to ask him again sometime. He was just like, I don't know. I, you know, everything's a read. I can't just decide to do stuff. I was like, okay, we'll figure out a way. And I want to hear what you think. Like, how do you decide what to do when you can do everything? And yeah. uh, but you can't do everything at the same percentage as a guy like LeBron, obviously, but you can do it at a higher percentage than a lot of your contemporaries. That's the interesting aspect of it. Um, that's precious. Do you have any other precious uh, factoids or interesting notes before we move on to something else? Um, I think precious has gotten to a spot where you have to, I believe, at least for this season, invest in his development. I think we should try to see the limitations of, of what he can do. Give him possessions where he's the ball handler. Give him possessions where he's trying to score in the post. And see exactly what he can do and then build structure around it. Sort of similar to what they did with, with Scotty. Let's, I, I think at least to see how high this ceiling is in a, in a space where you're probably not winning many games anyways. And then decide what what to do with him and build upon that going forward. I think a lot of people would enjoy that. <laughs> when Precious is having a, you know, trademark Precious game, <laughs> the the timeline which is still the best way to kind of get the the pulse of a, a fan base if you follow the right people on what they think about is happening, you can kind of zoom out and say there's people watching in their living room who never go on Twitter that are absolutely watching Precious do stuff and say, oh, my God, this guy. Like, <laughs> it's so entertaining because you never know what's going to happen. Like, the king of chaos, the agent of chaos. And, um, yeah, just to shout out Kai, he had a fantastic piece on it. So, RaptorsRepublic.com, this one isn't paywalled. Uh, go read that, listener, viewer, whichever it is. Okay, Great. Precious Achua, we're, we're moving on. The next thing, Nick Nurse, we've talked about him. The fan base talks about him. He has more cachet and more celebrity than any other coach in the NBA who isn't, you know, slotted for a Hall of Fame selection 
and even more than some Hall of Fame coaches. So whether it's television, whether it's uh, live musical performances, whether it's a book, whether it's is self-enterprising, you know, lo- like his trademark, and then uh, how, how enterprising he is as an individual, all the stuff he has going on. He has, you know, a cult of personality seems like too strong, but there are quotes, Fred Van Vliet, right? That's Nikki Nurse, baby. Everybody and other coaches talk about Nick Nurse like he's, you know, this guy invented defense and then destroyed it or something like that. Um, There's a lot of talk about him, his schemes. And anytime the Raptors do well, people, they comment openly on how Nurse's genius is like a a major driving force. I'm not here to relitigate Nurse's position, his genius and how big it is, how small it is, anything like that. I'm here to talk to you about coaching. Because I think it's one of the most like difficult things to assess. Yep. When I was doing the quick reaction grind that Kai is currently <laughs> on and, and likes to mention, when I was, you know, pumping like fifty of those out a year, I always had so much trouble grading the coach because it gives you that option. It's like, well, am I judging Nick Nurse for this game? Am I judging Nick Nurse? for how he's kind of like instilled the defensive principles, the offensive ones? Am I judging him based on what lineups he ran this game and how they correspond with like on-offs and lineup data? And like, did he play the good lineups? Did he play the bad ones? And one of the bad ones had a good run? Like what what strings is he pulling? It seems so nebulous and tough to kind of gauge. So I don't even think I want to lean on anybody's expertise here. I just want to know, you look at coaches... Of course, because everybody does. Yeah, everybody what, do you, does. What, do you, what do you look at? Like, what, what makes you think a coach is good or a coach is bad? I think from – I can only speak from the rest team of the most from the, uh, the Raptors' perspective. Um, first, you kind of have to understand what like what's the long-term objectives of running certain lines or putting certain players in certain positions. Like, for example, on on the head, putting Scotty as your main point of attack person. For <laughs> oh, no. Games. Like on the court is a very bad decision. I asked him about that, by the way, and he did like a non-answer because I think he didn't <laughs> want like Scotty to get screwed over, which is a good coach thing. Yeah. But I was like, is that does Scotty ask to do that? Are you like marching him out there? Like, go stop Donovan Mitchell. Like, what's the move? He did it at FSU, so I, I think maybe they thought it would translate. But again, that's like a long-term thing to see whether he can do it and understand his limitations as a player. They've obviously adjusted from that to a degree. And now him as a low man, he's performing a lot better. I think first understanding the reasoning of why certain players are put in, in certain positions and then how, how are they paired with other players? I think lineups are like the lowest hanging fruit understanding, like what coaches are probably doing. Like for, for us on easiest things, Boucher, Precious, when paired together, they win their lineups, they win their minutes, play them together as frequently as you can. Whereas in other other positions, putting Coloco with Scotty has not been, been good for most of the season. So I think with those, those reasonings and understanding lineups and the long-term, short-term game for doing certain things is the only way to understand um, or judge coaching because the, the amount of minutes being played is usually dependent upon how talented the team is, the type of depth they have, so on and so forth. So I can't really judge Nurse, who's trying to win games because that's his job, to 
play Fred and Pascal 40 minutes because he doesn't want to play um, Jeff Doughton in, in crucial crucial minutes. So you go hands off. Yeah. You're like, hey, I, it's a tough job. And I also don't like you respect the chasm of the information deficit is yeah. what I'm hearing. A front office, I think, is much easier to judge because usually every move, there's a, a win loss to it. Whereas, whereas the coach is given the team that they, they have and the adjustments they make, we probably understand it two months from now, why they did a certain thing where they did. Yeah. There's, if anybody wants to, during the playoffs, um, follow half court hoops. This guy, after the finals, you know, Golden State and Boston, basically was like, hey, I uh, diagrammed the 23 adjustments that were made through three games that changed the three games. And it's like the most minute stuff of how they guard ball screens to who's sending help and all this kind of stuff. Stuff that I write about for the Raptors, but I need 20 games to kind of be like, okay, I see what they're doing now. Like you said, you're going to see it two months from now. I'm not, I'm not picking everything up. I have to see it happen and I have to be like, okay, so this is new compared to what's happened before, and then look for a statistical precedent. Um, this guy, half-court hoops, man, he, he just pick it up in-game. Oh, yeah, this changed. And that's part of, like, this, you know, some people in basketball, they know everything. They're like, in a, uh, Evan Gualberto is also like that. Caitlin Cooper is like that, where they'll pick it up because they're very confident. Sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. Like, can I call this zoning up the weak side? Or is he sliding over? Like, but they just know exactly what they want they're in a really good position to critique coaching. The only thing I'll say about that before we move on to the front office conversation, which you teased, which I can't wait to hear what you think, um, is I think coaches get too much credit when teams win. Uh. <laughs> they get too much blame when teams lose. That might be the coward's way out, but I personally, people listen to this podcast faithfully or my reading, uh, or my writing, I should say, not my reading, they have known I have long lamented the superstar status that Nick Nurse has had. I've been like, why? Why <laughs> when Pascal Siakam works for like eight years straight on his game, is it like Nurse made him? You know, development starts with Nick Nurse. It's like, no, it doesn't. It starts with like the 905. There's like 80 coaches and 80 developmental guys and like even to the ball boys that these guys work with that helps build them into the players that are, not to mention their off-season stuff, their personal trainers, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I um I think too much goes to the coaches when things are going well, and uh, I think too much uh, goes to the coaches when it's going bad. Wait, okay. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. One thing. So the Warriors situation, because everyone is kind of like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Every everyone has given Nurse like the like the what am I trying to say? Everyone has given their sort of um, the genius status because he sort of changed or solved the system that was the Golden State Warriors. So you, so you would peg that as them having Pascal, Kawhi, and the, these special defenders who were able to muck up this game and not him creating a scheme that solved the team that was running through the league. I think that – so please, <laughs> listener, viewer, don't get mad at me. <laughs> I think that it's a lot easier to solve the uh, Golden State Warriors when Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson aren't on the court. Oh boy, this, you, said, you said the words. <laughs> no, 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 no. And this, like, every championship is valid. I'm not one of those, and by the way, losers 
who try and invalidate championships. I don't like. I don't care. You go through an 82 game season. You play the full playoffs. If you win at the end of it, you know you get the trophy. It goes up. Now you can quibble about like, oh, which is more impressive? Like the the legacy of teams, like the 2016 Cavs, ranks really high for me, for example. But I also rank the the Raptors really high. I look at that championship team. I think they were great. Like the Warriors are the that version of the Warriors healthy. The best team ever created. I think like, I don't think it's close. The fact that they only beat Clay, who was healthy for most of the series and like Steph Curry and Draymond Green and all these players. I don't care. They won the championship. That being said, it's more important that Marcus Saul at his age, at that point in time, at his size was able to hedge and sometimes blitz Steph Curry credit to Nick nurse for saying we might try this, but Marcus Gasol has to chop his feet. He has to move like he has the spirit of Kevin Love inside of him, bro. Like every possession, you know, like he, he has to get out in front. He has to he has to move those feet quick. He has to have the active hands deflect the pass that's going up to the middle of the floor. Um, you have to be able to pull levers as a coach. Pulling the Serge Ibaka lever in the 76ers series, for example. Great. Um, going back to Fred Van Vliet in the Milwaukee series and then eventually, you know, him becoming the human torch after Fred was looked like he couldn't play division one basketball <laughs> when he played against the 76ers. Right. And, and Norm to some degree too, like going back to those guys is, are great calls and fantastic, but I just, I hate to diverge any of the attention and credit away from the guys on the floor, man. Like I really, man, I do. Okay. Front office. I'm going to let you take the wheel on this one because I know you, you know, you, you, went, you went hands off with the coaching. But I know you like transactions. I know you like to look at the cost of them. I know you like to look at, you know, the the value of them. You did a whole uh, video I, on it. You, you gotta give hey, me some. Hey, but I want to hear yours, right? Like I was going through it. I'm like, hey, you know, I actually like this one at the time. Meanwhile, you were like, this sucks. And hey, man, you turned out to be correct. So I want to hear what. How do you judge a, a front office? I I think. Um you judge them based on how well they do around the margins because getting a superstar or even an all-star create takes a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. No way did Bob Myers think Steph Curry was going to be one of the 10 best players in the history of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Or Klay Thompson would be the second best shooter ever. A lot of those things have, happen to do with luck, and obviously you have scouting teams who believe in these players, and sometimes they exceed expectations, but... Um, moves that help you fill out the roster, smart, savvy moves usually are the reason that takes a, a really good team to becoming a great team. Like the Raptors getting Serge Ibaka for Terrence Ross, because getting a very good rotational player for someone who was struggling to fit in with the team and selling them at a high point in their value. Those type of moves are like basically where I judge teams. And now that I, now that I frame this, the Raptors have not done a good job in in the margins. Um, okay, let's let's hear about the margins. What what problems do you have? Some some of these moves, I'll, I'll, some of these moves, I, I did agree with and was wrong. I I will say, um, one I think the biggest thing everyone knows of the Raptors, they have to be very careful of who they sign and um, who they draft and who they trade for because free agency isn't a place where we can recoup talent. The Raptors have tried mm-hmm. to recoup some talent with the MLE and have missed every single season since the championship. 
they signed Aaron Baines, who I thought was going to be good. I I was wrong. He 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 was not good. I don't I don't even think like he had an. It's not necessarily unprecedented because older bigs sometimes like they hit the drop off point. It's done. Um, but Aaron Baines had a really good year in Phoenix the year prior. Like he he did a bunch of great stuff. He helped weaponize their their guards like resurging guards, yeah. and um, it's uh, it just didn't happen. And before you go on, actually, let me just say what you said about development being something that happens as far as like a whole organization goes into it. It's kind of a black box. You know, it's tough to glean how much these stuff happen. And a really great person to talk to about that would be a guy who played in the league and now a guy who coaches at the developmental level, like the G League. February 7th, Demetrius Nichols (laughs) will be, he's an assistant coach for the 905. He will be at the Raptors Republic live podcast. I'll be hosting along with Lewis Atzman. We have a bunch of other guests, but there will be a long conversation had with Demetrius Nichols, where not only will we get insights into how he developed his game, what that looked like, but how it's done within the Raptors organization. February 7th, 6 p.m. Tickets are going fast uh, at Rivoli. Um, Please come and enjoy yourself. And if you want to chop it up with me after the show, I will be there until Rivoli closes for anybody who so chooses. And if uh, nobody wants to talk, then I'm leaving early. Okay. <laughs> Front office. All righty. Cool. Um, was Emily. So they've missed on Emily every year since the title. We thought Aaron Baines was going to be good. That didn't really work out. Although he had a really good season in Phoenix. <laughs> you can't win them all. Um, Otto Porter this season. He's, he's played, I believe less than 10 games. We thought that was going to be our release, another release foul off the bench who could shoot, defend, and fit every every aspect of the team in terms of being Vision Six Nine. That that didn't really work out as well. And with a team like the Raptors, who who utilize the MLE as their big major acquisition, <laughs> missing on on those picks every single season has created a hole where you haven't been able to generate new depth because those players have been one year burnouts. You have situations like um, Goran Dragic, who doesn't play for the team for the entire season. Things like that around the margins have really hurt. And the Raptors, sadly, have not had the same sort of draft luck that they probably had through the 2010s. Whereas you hit on nearly every pick, and not only did you hit on those picks, they exceeded any expectation possible with like OG, um pascal fred obviously was undrafted but still in that same sort of group that exceeded expectations we drafted uh malachi flynn who i liked it was a trade favorite didn't end up living to the hype of what uh, quick question yeah. just to give you an opportunity to to look really smart mcdaniels bain flynn coming into the draft what was your ranking of those three Bain McDaniels Flynn. That is true. I I, I do have a tweet saying Redeemed. I hope, Yes, I do have a tweet Bro, saying send, send it to me, I'll put it on screen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a tweet saying that, hope hoping Bain falls to us. I no one thought that was gonna happen. I believe it's supposed to go like early twenties. And Malachi, I was hoping would probably be a backup elite backup bench point guard like a la Monte Morris and that Hasn't worked out at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the 21 draft, um, we surprisingly was one of the better drafts of, of the last 10 years or so. In the second round, there was a bunch of players who ended up becoming rotational guys like 
uh, Austin Reeves. Brandon Boston is actually pretty decent as well. Um, and we had two picks in that that draft, and both probably Delano to a, a lesser degree um, have disappointed. So we have situations where you're losing talent due to aging out and also just um, going all in from a title team, and you, we haven't been able to recoup from those margins. So a lot of the blame, I personally think, would go to the front office simply because um, – the coaching staff and the players just have simply less options and talent around them to succeed. I I know you did a video on this already, but do you think they deserve some blame with um, the current situation of the team? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think, I think that's like, I don't want to, and you know, I, you know, I talked about this seeing Bobby in the, in the hallway after that video came out, you know, it's like, uh, um, but it's, Nobody is free of hell, you know. I make a measly little salary over here, hardly anything. I'm not free of criticism. I tell you that much. I get it. Bobby and Masai paid very handsomely, especially when we frame it not in these, like, horrible ways, but just like, hey, I didn't think that was a great decision. That's fine. They deserve some criticism. They've missed on, I guess, like 70% of the moves when they used to hit on a bunch. And that is where you have to wonder, like, brain drain, a lot of, like, consultants, analysts, coaches, you know, a lot of people have left the organization to go do other things. Yep. This, the championship team, of course, was crowned in 2019, but it was built in between, like, 2014 and 2017, truthfully, right? You get Serge Ibaka in-house, that trade you mentioned. You trade Grievous Vasquez for what becomes Norman Powell and OG Ananobi. You get Fred, who is so good as an undrafted player that he's unprecedented and becomes like, you know, a point in his, in basketball history. You draft Pascal Siakam, 27th overall, who again is so good at his slot that he becomes like a reference point for development in basketball history. This is This is all in the middle years as Kyle and DeMar just kind of toiling away there aren't like these high sexy picks. They, man, they also got Jakob Pertl, a ninth overall pick for Barniani. Yeah. That is like the moves that were made are so, and maybe that's not fair, right? Like maybe you can't compare now like Masai today and Bobby today to what it was before because Masai was like, he was him, dude. He won everything and he still wins his trades by the way i know i know you don't like the thad one i i think that's the one you can quibble with for sure not that thad is bad or anything like that but just like how did you know if nicholas claxton was going for a first round pick last year or was like kind of rumored and thaddeus young who wasn't playing and was in the same position as Drogic, and probably have our viewed as similar value how did the raptors end up drop dropping what 12 draft slots for this like it's i don't know even even at that point, if you don't consider who who knew Nick Claxton was going to take that leap the next year, um, the major <laughs> I did <laughs> the, the major um, the major thought process to the trade is it didn't matter if we fell from what tw- the pick twenty to to thirty two because we are going to get probably the same person in talent level or impact wise because of how great the Raptors draft. The Raptors need a big who can block shots and deter people from the rim. 
the one of the best players in the league have at this happens to be a rookie in this draft who was picked before pick 32 who the Raptors scouted several times and he, oh, did not, yeah. he did not fall to 32 Walker Kessler would be very nice on this team are you Kessler pilled man that's so funny to me scheme aside scheme aside he would have been very good on the Raptors and would have filled a very nice hole on the team and not saying Coloco won't do that one day but he is younger and currently better right now. So it's just moves like that around the margin where it's not a major loss, but a lot of those things continue to pile up. Yeah. The Raptors used to get the most value out of everything. Yep. And now they're leaking value. Um, you know, when guys leave the team for nothing, uh, the Raptors have to try and build that equity up again using new funds that are now smaller because they're spending on the guys who are still there, the guys who did work out. And while a lot of their the money they've spent to re-sign guys. I think objectively, they've won like every contract except Gary's. That player option, everybody said at the time, that's going to loom large. It's looming, baby, you know, and and in a large uh, fashion. But the Raptors, they used to get like these massive surplus value from all their all their moves. That just hasn't been the case lately. And how do I judge a front office? Um, if you want to know like in depth, I did a video where I literally judged the front office. I went through all their <laughs> every every transaction post championship, and I was um, I didn't exclude my I didn't get I didn't elevate myself as a genius or anything. Certainly not because I was honest about how I viewed the moves at the time, and I thought most were palatable. But I also get to we get to look back at this stuff with hindsight and say, okay, so that was bad. And it doesn't mean the process was necessarily bad, but it's not about process at the front office level. It can be about process on the court because you get a lot of possessions. How many possessions does a front office get really? Like four a year? You know, like in the trade market, somebody has to play ball. How many trades do you really get a chance at that are good? How many signings do you get a chance at that are good? You have to make them count. And they haven't been making them count lately. Tough, tough. No, it, it's probably one of the, the things that's been like the most eerie. I will say like the Raptors do have a chance to kind of reset the table, whatever this, whatever side they, they choose in going to around the, the deadline time, just simply because all the picks that they hit before become super valuable assets. And if they do want to flip the table and retool, they'll recoup a lot. But um, the big thing about building this – Vision 6-9 team is that we are going to be able to hit on these picks from 25 to 32 every single season with this same type of player and develop them in the same type of way to a Pascal and an OG Ananobi. And I'm not sure if it's arrogance. I'm not sure if it was just like optimism, but currently it's it's not working. (laughs) You know, we almost made it. It took to 56 minutes, almost. Uh, we've done, I don't know how many episodes we've done this season so far, but we were so close to doing a podcast where we didn't say Vision 6-9. We were so <laughs> close, man. We were just about there, but it came out. Um, that feels like a, a decent enough spot to end it, unless you have any closing remarks you'd like to make about the hierarchy, precious coaches, front office, whichever. No, I, I I would say um, first um, our our tournament. Well, is this gonna drop before our tournament? Yeah, yeah. Okay, 
So please give us your support for our tournament. Myself, Samson, and our richest friend S will be will be competing in a tournament on Sunday. Please give us your support. Um, please come to the event on the seventh. I will be in attendance as well, watching all all the great minds of basketball. <laughs> basketball mind, bro. That term. And yes. Uh, to echo Trey's sentiments, um, send the good vibes. We'll need them. Everybody, you know, we're playing in a three-on-three tournament, the Raptors Republic annual one. It's a bunch of washed dudes playing basketball. We want to be the best of the washed. Send us the good vibes so that we can um, see out that uh, that vision. And, uh, yeah, what what was our vision called? You know, myself, Aleg, Trey, and S. What's, S, what's the- S is a six-foot, but we're vision six-foot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how we want to make the the guards on the other teams feel like yeah. uh, we're we're big in the backcourt. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, six foot is like the new six nine for regular people, to be honest. Honestly, for like uh, for pickup basketball, if you're six foot, you can play like a wing, basically. Yeah, yeah that that makes sense. Um, although I still feel like I'm five foot five when I play. I play like a little like a little <laughs> little itty bitty guard. I don't know why. I guess it's because I had a really late growth spurt. Anyway, nobody cares about this. My growth spurts that came late in life. Trey, thank you for chopping it up with me. Another episode of Pull Up Trey in the Books. Listener, thank you for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, like the video. I should say this stuff at the front of the podcast, but I don't. Subscribe uh, if you're listening on the podcast. Just thanks for listening to us. Uh, You don't have to like or subscribe anywhere. I guess if it's on Spotify, you can follow the podcast. Please, please do. Yeah, follow the podcast. What are you doing? What 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 took you so long? Fifty nine <laughs> minutes. Get it right, man. Um, and then yeah, additionally, uh, go to RaptorsRepublic.com and subscribe. And actually, let me wax poetic here. SB Nation, Vox Media, just laid off like so many people. This is the reason why Raptors Republic is independent because blogs at this point in time, not only do they house some of the best basketball writing in the world, but they are like a main hub for fans to learn about the game and their team. They're absolutely essential. Vox Media just got to take all of that away. Raptors Republic is independent. We are on a subscription-based service. Not everything is paywalled, but Myself and Lewis, our writing is paywalled. And the reason we do this is so that we can maintain and make sure that the future of RR is set and that this type of journalism, which is valid, which is valuable, um, is something that we can determine going forward. And we can say this is something that will be here because at Media Day this year, I can't remember if it's eight. I can't remember if it was 11, but a good deal of the room covering the Raptors had been somebody who wrote at Raptors Republic or did work at Raptors Republic. So the subscription, it means a lot. And um, I think it's worth it. I know that sounds self, <laughs> self-involved since I'm half of the paid content. But hey, uh, thanks. If you've already listened to my spiel this long, uh, you probably do want to pay. So thanks for doing it, Trey. Thanks for listening to me spiel and always being here for me to bounce ideas off of and for being my big man. Okay. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. That's it for us. We'll see you.